Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Very interesting events yesterday on the Utah State University campus. Uh, there's a presentation of the Family Acceptance Project. Subtitle is Learning to Accept Our Gay and Lesbian Family Members Within a Religious Context. And this was presented by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies at Utah State University. It's part of Research Week on the USU campus, sponsored by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies, Diversity Council, Access and Diversity Center, and Allies on Campus. And uh, the founder of the Family Acceptance Project is Dr. Caitlin Ryan of uh, San Francisco State University, and she joins us. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. It's great to be here. And as a part of these events, a film was uh, screened. It's called Families Are Forever. It tells the story of the Montgomery family, uh, Tom and Wendy Montgomery, their children, most especially uh, Jordan, uh, who, uh, as you'll hear, uh, came out as gay at a certain point. So uh, Wendy Montgomery joins us. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell me briefly, Dr. Ryan, how, how you came to found the Family Acceptance Project. I've worked on lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender health and mental health for the past 40 years. I'm a clinical social worker, and I had realized that as services started to become available for LGBT adolescents, the families were not involved because families historically were seen as adversaries, as incapable of supporting their LGBT children, and actually no research had ever been done on the whole family, on what happens in families when kids are found to be gay or transgender during adolescence. So I wanted to start a project that would not only do the first comprehensive research that shows how family reactions relate to their children's risk and well-being, but also how to help families become more supportive, how to help keep young people together to prevent really tragic outcomes like homelessness and suicide, and to build their well-being. And this wasn't happening. And so with my colleague, Dr. Rafael Diaz, we started the Family Acceptance Project in 2002. And uh, a couple of films so far. You plan on doing more films. Why did you start with the, the Montgomery family and a, a Mormon family? Well, we actually didn't start with the Montgomery family. Oh, I see. We've been making a series of what I would call family support and education or family intervention films that show the journey from struggle to support of ethnically and religiously diverse families with LGBT children. I'd been looking for a Mormon family just like I'm looking for families from other ethnic and cultural and religious backgrounds to tell that story because what we found was diverse families needed to see families like them. They needed a roadmap to see how it was done. How could they learn to support their children? How could they integrate deeply held values with the love that they had for their LGBT children? Mm -hmm. And many families didn't know how to do that because they didn't even really understand what sexual orientation and gender identity meant, especially in children and adolescents. Let's turn to uh, Wendy Montgomery to uh, tell a bit of uh, your story. This the subject of the film, Families uh, Are Forever. Uh, so your, your family was... Uh, I guess uh, still is, uh, the, the stereotypical Mormon family. This is in California? Yes. Yeah, we live in the uh, Central Valley area of California. Um, I would I would characterize us as quite stereotypical, quite normal. Uh, my husband and I were married in the temple about 20 years ago. We have five kids um, at church every week. Um, we hold current temple recommends. Um, yeah, kind of the boring Mormon family. Yeah. How many kids? Five. Five kids. Five, yeah. Jordan's our oldest. Jordan's the oldest. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, what was Jordan like growing up? Oh, he was the greatest kid. All my kids are great. Um, but he was so happy, very um, excited about life, excited about 
um, the little things that everyone else would take for granted. Um, and I loved, I loved that he was that way because he helped me notice things that I took for, for granted. And, um, but as he started getting older, when he hit about, uh, I'd say maybe 12 and a half or so, um, the light just kind of went out. And this kid that smiled so much just wasn't smiling anymore. And he went from being an A, B student to D's and F's and changed over all of his friends to what I considered kind of questionable friends and um, just very depressed. And we became extremely worried about him. Hmm. At a certain point, you felt like you ought to read his journal, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And and what did you find there? Um. Well, I think that a worried mother does better investigative work than the IRS sometimes <laughs> and the CIA. And um, what I found there, and I, it, it was almost a spiritual experience that, if I can characterize it as such, um, that made me feel prompted to read his journal. And um, he had barely just started keeping it, and it was for a Duty to God program for church. And there was just three or four entries, and they were very innocent. They were so cute. They were... Um, one of them, he talked about a boy in his class, and he he liked he liked his eyes. Um, another one was um, he noticed a boy in his math class, and he liked the way he held his pencil. He liked the shape of his hand. Mm. So it was nothing that was sexual. It was just the beginnings of crushes, mm. and I remember those feelings. So um, when I read that, though, and he was identifying the people that he found attractive were boys, um, <laughs> It turned my neatly ordered Mormon world upside down. Um, I grew up very conservative, very Mormon, didn't really have a lot of non-Mormon friends. I didn't date non-Mormon boys. I didn't know any gay people that I knew were gay. And I I had no context for homosexuality. I knew nothing about it Um, except just the the negative things you would hear from time to time in in church or from family members. And um, so I I just didn't even know where to go Hmm. with any of that. Yeah, that's it's it's a, as you say in the film, all those expectations that you have for a a, a boy in the Mormon Church, right? Right. All, all of those are in question now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's hear the first clip from the from the movie here. Um, this talks about those expectations, and uh, this is about this 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 time in the, in the story. This is from the uh, film "Families Are Forever" from the Family Acceptance Project. I was mortified of the idea of being disowned by my parents. I was like, I do not want to be thrown out of my home and my parents telling me, I hate you, you're awful. How did did you choose this? How did you go through with it? It was very confusing for me growing up Mormon and thinking now I have a son that's gay, like how does this fit? So that you first you heard Jordan and then then Wendy. Um, so as we said, those expectations and what was Jordan going through? He's part part of the piece of this is as as good Mormon folks, you you had a sign up in your lawn on Prop Eight, right? And right, right. This is before you knew Jordan mm-hmm. was gay, but but Jordan, I think, knew was suspecting he was gay, and so he's getting messages from that, right? And and other messages. Yeah, he was he was nine, turning ten um, during Prop Eight. Um, he said he didn't know then exactly that he was gay, but he has always felt different from other boys from the time he, you know, around kindergarten he felt different. Um, but so we didn't suspect anything. 
And um, so when Prop 8 started and, and members of the church were encouraged to participate and our bishop asked us if we would, we did. Um, and I'm speaking for myself here. I don't want this to come across like I'm saying anything negative about the church or the leaders. But for me and my home personally, it was hugely damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan walked past that sign in our yard every day when he went home from school. And if I could have a do-over with anything in my life, it would be that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my faith, but that hurt my family, and it hurt my son. And so if you fast forward four years to when we find out that he's gay, um, you know, when he realized he was gay himself, he looked back on that Prop 8 experience, and he had said that he would never, ever tell us because he knew how we felt about gay people. Mm -hmm. And I have to take responsibility for the message I gave my son. Um, And, you know, when he came out, he was was angry about that. I had some Mm -hmm. apologizing to do to him. Mm for that um i think we've worked through it and you know he sees how we support him but it was rough for a little while we turn back to dr ryan this it's interesting that you're you're working with families religious families people of faith and in a way i guess you might see it as the stakes are maybe higher it's 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 this life and it's the next life jordan was worried that that uh this is going to cut me off from my family not only now but you know, we want to have a forever family, and it's going to cut me off from them forever. Well, our research has focused on families from all backgrounds, religious families, secular families, and everything in between, as well as very diverse families. And what we found was that there were behaviors that parents and caregivers use to respond to their LGBT children that our research then linked with health risks like attempted suicide and substance abuse and depression and sexual health risks, as well as accepting behaviors that we linked with self-esteem and well-being and overall health. And we found that religious condemnation and using religion to generate a sense of um, something being wrong with a young person, that actually was linked with health risks as a young adult, whereas helping a child understand that God loves them in the fullness of who they are and helping your congregation become more welcoming, those reactions and behaviors were linked with wellness and strengthening families. And so part of what we found was that because these religiously condemning behaviors were linked with serious health risks and because when you come to issues of homosexuality and now gender identity, these are often very um, pulls apart and there isn't a place in the middle to actually talk about these in a in a way that people can understand that's helpful and that brings families together. And so we've done special outreach to religiously conservative families and highly religious families to help them understand that they can support their LGBT children, even if their religion finds something wrong with this or disagrees. Mm. These are their children and giving them a message that God loves them, as Wendy's husband Tom talks about in the film is so incredibly important. Not only your parents and your family, but God loves you too. Mm. And some of these messages, you, you I probably don't even think about it, right? As a, as a family, you know. Um, Wendy, is before you knew Jordan was gay, you're, you're sending out messages without even knowing you're sending out messages. Right. You, I, I, had, I had no idea. Um, Prop 8 obviously was a very big message that we sent out. Um, but there's there's a myriad of small things. We live in a heteronormative world. They don't see examples of what healthy gay couples look like. Um, 
you know, he saw his mom and dad and he saw aunts and uncles and grandparents. He didn't see one of the hardest things that we had to, to uh, the bridge we had to cross with him is he became quite suicidal even after he knew how much we loved and supported him. And it was because he saw no future. Hmm. He didn't know what that looked like. It was because, you know, the Mormon boy has a plan. It's, it's deacon, teacher, priest, elder, mission, temple marriage. And so much of that just really isn't available to a lot hmm. of gay people. And he didn't, he had no examples of what it looked like to be a healthy gay adult. Um, so it just looked like this big black hole. And until we started meeting other gay couples that are active members of the church, not active, and, and getting involved with different groups, um, that was a game changer for him, where mm. he says, oh, they're five years older than me, they're 10 years older than me, and they look really happy. And they're college graduates, and they're successful in their careers. He, he saw what he couldn't see before. And in a very conservative Mormon family, I never would have thought to have put those examples in front of him, mm. if that makes sense. Right. One of the positive, supportive family reactions in our research is exactly what Wendy is talking about, finding positive role models for your LGBT children to give them a sense of the future, to give them a sense of how they can lead happy, healthy lives. Yeah. Let's hear this clip. This is, this is uh, Jordan, um, and he's, he's talking about suicide, or at least he, he's had these thoughts. He talked several times about suicide. He's like, what's the point of my life? I, I, I didn't have answers and at that point. I thought, well, I don't know. We have lots of pills because we have a big family. I was thinking I would just like get all the pills, take them all at once and die right then. When he said, there's just no point to my life. What, what's the point? Mom, just let me go. I can't tell you what that does to a mother's heart to hear that. There is something not right with a 13-year-old having to think that. And I found myself being angry that he even had that thought in his head and how unfair those emotions were to him. It's hard enough being a teenager without all of that. So it was Wendy and then Jordan. And as you said, uh, Wendy, he, he didn't see how he fit into the future. Right? That, that's what you had to get him. Right. Is through these. And Dr. Ron has uh, show him some role models of of how this can work. Absolutely. And this is something that uh, parents are doing to really help give their child a sense that it may be different, but it's your path and we'll be there with you and you don't have to go there alone. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Wendy, uh, it's a very moving passage in the film. T tell me about when Jordan came out to to you and your husband. Um, well, as, I, as we said, you know, I read his journal and there was probably about a two-week period before when we knew and he came out to us um, and I used every spare minute I had in that time trying to find the way to help him trying to reconcile this with being Mormon and and how does this work and um, and it was becoming harder and harder in those two weeks to act normal around him and and act like we didn't know um, so you know I was just talking to my husband when I said we we need to ask him. We need to, so we can help him because he's still so depressed. And, and I couldn't help him unless he knew that we still loved him. And um, so my husband gave him a priesthood blessing. And then afterwards, we were in my room, and, um, and he was sitting next to me on the bed. And my husband just asked him, he said, Jordan, are you struggling with feelings of homosexuality? And 
he couldn't say anything. He didn't say any words, um, but he was kind of leaned up against me and hugging me, and I could feel him nod his head, and he was crying, and his whole body was trembling. He was petrified. Um, but I had read so many stories of really awful coming-out stories where parents just flipped out, and I wanted that moment to only be love, only acceptance. And um, so we sat there probably two hours, and I just held him, and I told him how much we loved him, and that this changed nothing, and he was perfect to us. And um, and um, in the film, Jordan says that what we said over and over is, you don't have to leave, you don't have to go. And we never said that to him. I never even thought that he was thinking that. Um, but that's the message he got. And I hate that even for a minute, he had the thoughts that he couldn't stay with his family. Hmm. What uh, I imagine, uh, Dr. Ron, you... You've encountered a lot of these, these stories, and um, a full spectrum of what happens when a when a gay teenager comes out to their family. Exactly, and one of the things we found was that um, homelessness is tied with family rejection, and also from highly religiously conservative families. But the good news and the great news, having worked on these issues for forty years is that families can learn to support their LGBT children. But that really requires educational materials and resources that are culturally resonant for them. So we've been developing multi-educational and multi-faith family education materials that are actually best practices for suicide prevention. And even though we made this film to feel like art, in other words, to integrate science and art so it opens hearts and minds, it's really a very powerful educational tool that mirrors social learning theory that we need to give families role models. We need to give people role models of positive and supportive behaviors. And what we found, tragically, was that so many families from conservative backgrounds didn't even know anything about what acceptance meant or how to negotiate deeply held values and loving their child, or even thinking about what that would look like from an, an, a family from their background. So the films, actually, we're trying to make a series of them of ethnically and religiously diverse families, and, and I looked five years to find the Montgomerys to be able to make a Mormon family because we actually have the only Mormon family education materials that are best practices for suicide prevention in the in the National Registry, but we have to show, we can't just tell. Mm. And these films are so powerful because they show it in a way that integrates all parts of a cultural world and really helps the family for the first time see themselves in that experience. So many people can see themselves in Wendy and Tom's experience, and that's really part of what is needed to help families understand what, it, what, it, what should they be doing now. Mm. If you just joined us, we are uh, talking with Dr. Caitlin Ryan, uh, she is uh, has founded the Family Acceptance Project. She teaches at uh, San Francisco State University. And uh, the Family Acceptance uh, Project uh, uh, tries to get this information out to, uh, I guess, all families, but you're especially targeting all uh, families. diverse families, as you call it. Well, all yeah. families. All families. Families from yeah. all kinds of backgrounds. We've actually trained across the U.S. and in other countries, and we've trained over 65,000 health and mental health providers, families, religious leaders and others on how to increase family support. And we're also talking with Wendy Montgomery. Her family is the subject of a film, Families Are Forever. It's the winner of 20 national and international awards. It's uh, produced by Family Acceptance Project. 
and uh, Dr. Ryan and uh, Mrs. Montgomery were on the Utah State University campus yesterday uh, for a couple of events uh, as part of Research Week at Utah State University, uh, including a screening of Families Are Forever. This was sponsored by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies, Diversity Council, Access and Diversity Center, and Allies on Campus at uh, Utah State University. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll hear a couple of more uh, clips from the film, including... Uh, Tom Montgomery, Wendy's uh, husband, who once uh, Jordan has come out to his parents, uh, Tom is trying to wrestle through what is what does this mean, especially within the context of, of, of the LDS faith here. So we'll hear that clip. We'll, we'll talk a bit about that. And before we go to break, uh, we want to get in this email, uh, which came to us uh, on upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, uh, though this... Uh, interview is recorded, you can uh, respond to the program through our email. We'll get that on uh, here. So uh, this is an email from uh, Michelle. Uh, She says that she went to the presentation at uh, USU, and uh, she wanted to thank Dr. Ryan for her research, dispelling the myths and bringing to light the humanity and wellness of our LGBT youth. I also wanted to thank Jordan's mother for her courage and sharing her unconditional love for her son. Michelle says, I am a Catholic, active in social justice, and as a mother, she broke open my heart. I know now uh, how ignorant I was, and even though I thought I was accepting and helping, I wasn't. I'm sorry for that and felt compelled to go home and tell my children how sorry I am. I don't know where this new path will lead, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to understand so much more. I would like to see our school counselors, faith community leaders, and local community leaders attend Dr. Ryan's talk and see Jordan's film. We are living in a world of misunderstanding and hurting our children because of it. Please keep talking about this and providing the resources that are much needed. Thank you. That's Michelle, who emailed upraxcess at gmail.com. You can as well. We'd love to know what you think. You can join us on Twitter as well, at Utah Public Radio. More following the break. We love going to the movies, and we also love reading about the people who make movies. Everyone in the world is fascinated by Hollywood, yet the press that covered Hollywood was nowhere. I'm Kai Rizdal, Janice Min from The Hollywood Reporter on how she tells the story of Hollywood Storytellers. That is next time on Marketplace from APM. Thursday night at 7 on Utah Public Radio. Congratulations to Sean Michael, head of Utah State University's Department of Landscape Architecture and Environmental Planning, for his national honor of the 2015 Outstanding Administrator Award. The competitive award is granted to administrators who instigate support or inspire improvement in the education and experience of students. UPR congratulates Sean Michael, recipient of the National 2015 Outstanding Administrator Award. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guests are Dr. Caitlin Ryan of San Francisco State University, who has founded the Family Acceptance Project, and uh, Wendy Montgomery, whose family is the subject of a film, uh, which has been produced by the Family Acceptance Project. It's called Families Are Forever. It's the story of their uh, Mormon family and what happens when their oldest son, Jordan, uh, comes out as gay uh, to his parents. Uh, And a couple of events uh, happened on the Utah State University campus uh, yesterday, 
uh, part of the research week presented by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies. There was a presentation by Dr. Ryan on the Family Acceptance Project and a screening of the film, Families Are Forever. And uh, we're glad that you've joined us here for the discussion. Let's, uh, let's hear that uh, next clip from the film. This is uh, Tom Montgomery, Wendy's uh, husband. Your options are either complete celibacy on one hand or we lose him and he leaves the church. And you think these are my only two options. And I remember thinking about those things and like thinking these aren't acceptable. These are really both really bad choices. I definitely expected to be excommunicated and restricted from church but I still wanted to be with the church. Like, I'd grown up with it. It was my life until and until now. When people actually sit down and think through how Christ would behave and how Christ would act towards people who are gay or in any sort of left-out type of situation, those are actually the people Christ went to and reached out to and spent his time with. So that was Tom Montgomery and then his son, Jordan. Uh, so, so that, this brings us to a, uh, I guess a thorny issue, right, Wendy? Uh, you and Tom want, want to continue to be good LDS people, right? Good members right. of the congregation. You've got a gay son, and Tom is saying that the, the two options, uh, Jordan has to be celibate or he gets kicked out of the church and you lose him from the church. He, he's saying those are, those are <laughs> looking for another option, Right. Right. Those are not two good options. So how do you navigate that? Well, um, it's really, really difficult. Um, Jordan's almost 17 now, and he is pulled away from the church quite a bit. He doesn't attend very much anymore. Um, I know that there are very wonderful accepting wards and leaders. Um, we're unfortunately not in a place where that that has been our experience. Um so he actually has a stronger testimony of his Savior when he stays home. Attending church became so awful for him, it was hurting his testimony. It was counterproductive. Um, so in whatever ways we can, we try and strengthen his faith from home. But as you know, current church policy, if he decides to pursue a same-sex relationship as he gets older, there really isn't a place for him. Um, and that's a very hard pill for me to swallow because of how much I love my faith. Mm. Do do you think the church has moved on this? You have the you know the the website Mormons and Gays. You've you've got it seems like some outreach mm-hmm. has has been happening. As uh, you see movement, it's maybe not. I'm hearing not maybe movement to where you'd like it to to go. But have you seen movement? Absolutely, yes. Um, Jordan came out in January of 2012, and the church's website MormonsandGays.org came out in December of that year. So we had about a year where there really wasn't anything. And I was so grateful when that website came out. For the first time ever, the church came out publicly and said, we recognize this is not a choice. And that was something we kept running into with leaders saying, oh, he's choosing this. It's a phase. Um, There's no such thing as a gay teenager. Um, And that website, even though our experience was telling us that what they were saying was not accurate, at least for my son, that website kind of gave us a leg to stand on with the church. So I've, I've definitely seen movement with the church. The SB 296 recently here in Utah, um, with the backing of the church, I think that really helped it pass. Um, 
I, I know it's not everything people would want it to be, but for a conservative church, it's a big step forward, and I'm, I'm grateful for any, any forward movement. Hmm. This is, and I'm sure, Dr. Ryan, you've encountered this with other people of faith who, you know, they want to hold to their beliefs, but if their church isn't where, where you know, they, they would like them to be, perhaps, then they've got a gay or lesbian son or daughter. Uh, these are hard waters to navigate. These are hard waters to navigate, and yet in most of the major denominations, the conservative ones as well, mercy and compassion. And if you're Christian, you know the belief in being a follower of Christ and embracing everyone, especially the most vulnerable among us. So parents, families have to negotiate this. They have to really find a way to balance those values with how do they care for their children, how do they keep them safe, and most importantly, how do they keep their families together. I I think it really requires them to live with ambivalence and not to live with the certainty of black on one side, white on the other, or um, nothing in between. And part of the challenge of living in the modern world, I think, is living with ambivalence. We have to deal with that with so many things. It does require one, I think, to think about your faith every day. And we see families like the Montgomerys, others from other religious and cultural worlds, loving their children and working to be the best parents they can be. And I think that's, you know, a profoundly um, inspirational experience for those of us out in the world that are really all trying in our own little way to try to make the world a, l- a better place. Hmm. Let's hear another clip from from the film. This this kind of points us toward the future. Uh, this is uh, this is Tom Montgomery. So uh, tonight we're going to have a lesson by Jordan. So Jordan, you want to go ahead? Okay. So, what is the importance of getting good friends, Emma? You can't just leave some void for for a young child to, you know, God what God doesn't have a plan for me anymore. I want to make sure that he can get to adulthood and not have made huge mistakes that compromise his health and his happiness. And there's a lot of landmines along that road, you know? And that's true about heterosexual or homosexual kids, you know? Figuring all of that out is not easy. But if you take your family support away, I don't know how you do it as a kid. So uh, Tom is, he just wants to get Jordan and the other kids safely to adulthood. Uh, you know, that's universal, as Tom says. Right. Whether your kid's uh, you know, gay or straight or whatever. Right, right. Uh, but what's, what, what are the hopes and dreams now? For, first of all, for you, for you and Tom, for Jordan, and then what, what about Jordan? Uh, well, for Tom and I, it's getting all five of our kids to adulthood, <laughs> healthy and happy. So far, we just have one gay, but we have got some younger ones, so who knows? Um, but they will be loved and accepted no matter, no matter how they end up. Um, we, we hope to continue to remain active. Um, it's uncomfortable at best, awful at worst, um, because we have been vocal in loving and supporting our son. Um, and hoping in some way to call the members of the church to a higher level of compassion and um, Christ-like love. Because that, that to me, is, is what this comes down to, is not to judge people. Christ asked us many times to save that for him and for us just to love. Hmm. And my son is so easy to love. 
you know, so my, um, my hopes for him is college degree, um, a career that he loves. I really hope that he has love in his life. I, the thing I value the most in my life is my husband and my children and my family. And he's been raised to want that too. And, um, his might look different than mine looks, but I know he'll be happier. Hmm. And I know that's not the standing of the church or, or what they teach, but parts of our life have just had to depart a little bit from that hmm. to to make it all work. What about Jordan? It's, it's, you know, as I think you say in the film, Mormon boys have a plan laid out, you know, Mormon girls too, but especially Mormon boys. It's mission, mm-hmm. come home, get married in the temple, et cetera, et cetera. Right. What's, what's Jordan's plan now? Um, currently, I mean, he's 17, so things can change. Um, but currently he has no intention of serving a mission. Um, I know of several people who have served missions that are gay and have since left the church and they still can consider their mission, the two best years of their life. And a part of me wants him to have that experience, the learning and the growing and the serving and putting other people first. Um, but I think there's maybe other ways that he can do that if that's not something he can do. Um, but I, I just see a really bright, beautiful, happy future for him. Mm. Dr. Ryan talked about families like yours have to learn to live with ambivalence. That was your phrase. Dr. Mm-hmm. Ryan's, I'm guessing that resonates with you, Wendy? A hundred percent. I was very much a black and white Mormon before this. Um, and I think that was maybe one of the things that I struggled with is I, I now live in shades of gray and it's very, the, the ambiguity is, is a constant daily thing. It's a constant tension that I live with trying to, am I doing what is best for my family? Am I doing what the Savior wants me to do? These are questions I always have. And um, sometimes church leaders are helpful, and I'm, I'm meaning my local leaders, um, and sometimes not so much. So I rely a lot on my own um, personal feelings, the promptings of the Holy Ghost, intuition, those types of things have guided me, and I found them to be really accurate a lot of times. Mm. Dr. Ryan, what, what? Tell me a little bit more about the best practices. You're, you know, you've set a family acceptance pra- uh, project, setting up based on research. What uh, prescriptions that families like the Montgomerys can can use? And you use the phrase "keep the family together." Well, we know that when young people end up out of home, their risks go up astronomically. And their capacity to live a, a, a healthy life really diminishes. We don't tell people what to do. I mean, I don't feel like we can tell people and make them change. What we do is to show people what we've found in our research, that over 100 accepting and rejecting behaviors are related to specifically to high levels of risk for really negative outcomes. And positive, supportive behaviors are related to health and well-being. And so much better adjustment in young adulthood. So we've developed a whole new family intervention or family, what I would call a family support approach that includes education and guidance for families to help them understand how to help their children. And then families need to do what they feel is in the best interest for their child and their family. But I think today most families are making those decisions without accurate information and without knowing what the consequences will be. And We found that, for example, families who threw their children out of the home, many of them later deeply regretted that, but they didn't know what to do. They just acted out of anger or disappointment or hurt. They would have changed it if somebody had been there to say, 
stop for a moment. Think about this. Think about what you're saying to your child. Think about how it might affect them and how it might affect you. So we've developed an approach to education, to skill building, to through peer support, which is incredibly important for families to meet and to be with other families from their cultural backgrounds who have LGBT children. And that's something that Wendy and Tom and other families like theirs have been doing to help Mormon families around the U.S. and in other parts of the world to understand that you can support and love your LGBT child despite religious teachings or cultural values, that this is this will be your child for eternity. And helping your child understand that they have a future with the family and that they will always be loved, we found that love, in essence, that family acceptance is like a vaccine that really protects your child against serious health risks and promotes their well-being. So I imagine this is helpful, right? Get together with, with families in your same situation. Right, right. We, um, I'm on the board of directors for Affirmation. It's um, a Mormon LGBT organization, one of the largest in the world. They have conferences yearly. Um, their main conference is in Provo this year, September 18th. Um, and, but we also started a local, um, LGBT support group in our area, um, selfishly because I needed it. (laughs) Right. And, um, it, it's become, it's become wonderful. And these moments where we are at conferences with other Mormon families and other people, um, parents like us, um, Jordan has met peers just like him. It, it feels like church to me. I feel the spirit there. And sometimes when our, our weekly experience in our ward is difficult, I get refilled at those events. It's huge to have somebody that understands all the facets of this. Hmm. If you just joined us, we're talking about the Family Acceptance Project. This is uh, the subtitle, Learning to Accept Our Gay and Lesbian Family Members Within a Religious Context. The founder is Dr. Caitlin Ryan, and uh, she gave a couple presentations on the USU campus yesterday. It's part of Research Week at Utah State University. Sponsored by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies, the Diversity Council, Access and Diversity Center, and Allies on Campus. We're also talking with Wendy Montgomery. Her family is the subject of a film called Families Are Forever. And you can join us here at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can also join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Much more to come, the last segment of the program, and uh, hope you will join us if you have a question or comment, upraxis at gmail.com or on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Uh, top of the hour, of course, is Zesty Garden with Brian Earle. We'll learn about uh, bonsai plants. Also, uh, garden parties. Talk with Michelle and Darla from the Ch- Tasty Trek. Uh, Carrie Ann Mendez will talk about her new book, The Right-Sized Flower Garden, Sometimes Smaller is Better. And on Petals and Prose, Helen Cannon explores kumquaticide. Sometimes, no matter what you do or how well-intentioned you are, unintended consequences can happen. That's Zesty Garden, top of the hour. Again, the way to reach us here for the program is upraxis at gmail.com or on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. By its very definition, a scherzo is a musical joke, sprightly and playful, We'll hear a scherzo by Mendelssohn that fits that definition right down to the smirk. From a concert at Seattle's Benaroya Hall, we'll hear the scherzo from Mendelssohn's Piano Trio Number no. 2. That's coming up on the next performance today from APM. Thursday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. 
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Jesse Walker Photography in Northern Utah, available for weddings, portraits, and commercial photography. Details available at jessewalker.photo. We're back on uh, Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're talking about the Family Acceptance Project. And uh, the founder, Dr. Caitlin Ryan, uh, gave a presentation yesterday as part of Research Week on the USU campus. This is uh, presented by the Office of Research and Graduate Studies at USU. And there was a screening of a film called Families Are Forever, winner of 20 national and international awards. And the Montgomery family is the subject of that film. We have with us Wendy Montgomery as, as well. Uh, Dr. Ryan, there's another uh, film that you can you can find at least the trailer for on, on the website, Family Acceptance Project. This is a variation on a theme. Tell me a bit about this. This is a ex-Marine or a... We've made uh, three films. So. Um, uh, the film with the Montgomery's is our third. The film that we made earlier is the story of a Mexican-American family. The dad is a Marine. He was a captain of all of his sports teams. And his firstborn son, of whom he's extremely proud, who's named after him, is very gender nonconforming. And at the age of a year and 18 months, loved to play with Little Mermaid dolls. And it really takes you on a journey. This is a religious family. It's a family that has great pride in its culture. The dad is um, very masculine. And it shows the journey of this father and his family and uh, the journey of this son to support and acceptance. So the theme really is helping families understand how to support their LGBT children, most importantly, giving youth and families hope. Because as we saw with Jordan, he had no hope for the future. And he'd absorbed that from the culture, from the ward, from his faith, from what he had heard in the community and his family. You get messages as children, and children are like sponges. So giving them hope, humanizing the lives of LGBT young people and families, it's so important for people to understand their challenges and their journeys, and also to help families understand that they can learn to support their LGBT children. So we're in the process of looking for other families. I want to make a series of 10 of these films. Uh, We use them for training. We use them to help families learn to support their LGBT children. Young people use them to come out to their families, Mm. and they're, they're really, really powerful tools, I think, to make people stop for a minute and think with their heart. Because especially if you think this is wrong and it's just not right and there's no way I could even think about it, to be really able to see in the fullness of someone's lives how it affects a family. And this is a family just like yours. For the first time, it puts you in someone else's shoes. And I think that's a powerful learning experience. If I could for a minute, um, I'd like to let people know that the family version of our film is available now. Okay. And they can get that uh, through our our film website. It's uh, familyacceptanceproject.org. And the educational version of our film, which will be used in congregations and for providers for training in colleges and universities, will be available very soon. And there's a discussion guide as well. There's available. a discussion yeah. guide, and it comes with a copy of our family education booklets, which are best practices for suicide prevention. And Mm. you had asked about that before. Those are best practices that are determined by the um, nationally run best practices registry for suicide prevention, because we've shown that when young people are highly rejected by their families, LGBT young people, with a lot of those rejecting behaviors, 
there's a more than eight times greater likelihood of attempted suicide, which mm. is shocking mm. to many families who think that trying to change who their child is or preventing them from learning about who they are or from having a gay friend, that that will help put them on the right path. But what it actually is doing is sending a message that I don't love you, that there's something wrong with you, and maybe also that God doesn't love you. Hmm. Now, ultimately, what you're responding to is uh, are these societal problems, right, that, that, that can result to it. So suicide, homelessness, etc. I'm wondering, is that... Programs like yours making a dent, or are those statistics getting better? Well, the statistics are enormous, and they've been ongoing for a very long time. And unfortunately, the high rates of homelessness and attempted suicide, those have been ongoing for decades. It's only just recently in the last few years that the media has even discovered that there is such a thing as a gay or transgender youth and maybe LGBT young people, and that they are at risk from rejection. So we have a lot of time to make up. We have a lot of things that we need to do. I can't see myself changing the entire world, but what I'm really trying to do with our project, and I know Wendy and Tom are as well, is try to change the world one family at a time. Because if your family is there for you, you have the whole world ahead of you because they can make such a profound difference in helping you understand that you're a good, worthy person and that you can do and be whoever you are. As Tom ends the film talking about, to Jordan, your future will be magnificent. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of our young people got a message like that from their parents? Right. So, Wendy, you, uh, I'm guessing you've had people reach out to you, maybe. Yes. Their, their son or daughter just came out to them, and, and they look around for information, and, and maybe they're in the Mormon community, they want to reach out to someone Mormon. And... Right, yes, um, especially as the film is becomes more and more accessible, more widely known. Um, I get probably 100 or so messages a week from families just like mine, or sometimes from youth or young adults that are gay, and how do I tell my parents? Um, will you talk to my mom or... Um, when will your film be available? So I'm happy to tell them that it's it's available now. Um, but I have that all the time. And that's that's kind of one of the reasons that we agreed to make the film. I'm not normally a really share my public pain person. <laughs> um, but I, I can't tell you what I would have given in the early stages of this to have found a story like mine of somebody that could make it work in the church and still love and support their child because so much of what I felt at the beginning was I had to choose. I had to choose between a God I loved and a child I loved, and that's just impossible for mm -hmm. me, and I didn't want to choose. And that, to me, is the brilliant part of Dr. Caitlin Ryan's work. When I came across her work, I just cried. It was sunshine to me um, where I couldn't find answers because her work, the best part about it is it doesn't threaten doctrine of whatever religion you belong to. Um, so when people reach out to me, I always, I first send them, her work, and and especially if they're Mormon, and it's great that we have this Mormon booklet. Um, so I'm really grateful she chose to choose our our faith to start that work. Um, but there are a lot more resources now than than there were three years ago, um, and there continue to be more. So. I'm wondering. Uh, we're we're nearing the end of our conversation here. I'm wondering about your other your other your other kids. 
You, oh, you know, we, so we, we, the, the film focuses on Jordan, appropriately right, so. Right. Our discussion here is focused on, on Jordan, mm-hmm. and appropriately so. But I, I wonder about your other four, four kids. Uh-huh. We have four other kids. Um, Jordan has a sister that's just 12 months younger than him, so they grew up a little bit like twins. Um, and then we have a 12-year-old and 9-year-old twins. And his sister that's just a year younger than him has become his fiercest defender. They're in high school together. She's a sophomore. He's a junior. And if anybody even looks at him wrong, she is, she is right there. Um, so I'm so proud of her. She is wonderful. And um, all of our children know, uh, 12-year-old and our 9-year-old twins, and it's a non-issue for them. They just love him. They support him. Um, my my twins are in third grade, and my daughter, my twin daughter, um, his teacher called one day, and they said, you know, we're a little concerned that all Emma draws is rainbows, and I love my gay brother and unicorns. And, and I said, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. She loves her brother. What yeah. about other family members? I know in the in the film there's a reference to your father, mm-hmm. who, who maybe had a little harder time right. coming I, to terms with. It's you know it's a journey for all of us. Um, it, it's it's similar to somebody telling you that you have to learn Mandarin Chinese overnight and you have to be fluent in it because it is the health and life of your child. So the learning curve for my husband and I was steep, and for other people, even though they they love Jordan, they don't have the same pressure to learn that fast. So they're at various stages of, they've never done anything that's been rejecting. They love him. They're very clear about loving him. But sometimes the way they love him isn't isn't perfect, but mm. I'm grateful that they try. Mm. So just a, a minute or two left, uh, Dr. Ryan, what, uh, where can people go to get information? What I'll give you the last word on this. What would you say? Well, I invite them to come to our website at San Francisco State University. It's familyproject.com sfsu.edu. They can download copies of our family education booklets, including the Mormon booklet that we've talked about today. Uh, they can get more information about our, our research, our other publications. They can contact us. As I mentioned, we do training in health and mental health programs with congregations. We've done firesides with Tom and Wendy and with Mormon religious leaders. We've presented, actually, Families are Forever for Catholic and Evangelical and, um, and Jewish families who all identify with the universal themes in the films. We do consultation. We help develop programs based on the family support model that we have developed over you know, the last 14 years and, and, of course, the work that we've been doing since then with, with families from all different kinds of backgrounds. I just want to reiterate the hopefulness of this that you as a family can make such a profound difference. And as Wendy said, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Just a little bit of change opens the door for greater connectedness and hope in the family. And that is so important. Dr. Caitlin Ryan was uh, one of our guests today. She uh, gave a presentation on the USU campus yesterday as part of Research Week. And uh, it's the Family Acceptance Project. And there was a screening of the film Families Are Forever. The Montgomery family is the subject of that film. And we've had with us uh, Wendy Montgomery as, as well. This uh, presentation, uh, an appearance uh, presented by the uh, USU Office of Research and Graduate Studies and also sponsored by the uh, Diversity Council, Access and Diversity Center, and Allies on Campus. So thank you to both for coming in. Thank thanks you. for having us. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. We do appreciate it, and uh, you can keep the comments coming at upr.org. You can also respond to upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter as well.
Coming up on Monday, very interesting program about uh, the fight for wilderness in the northern Rockies. Decades before the Wilderness Act, hunters, anglers, outfitters, scientists, hikers, and other outdoors people successfully challenged timber roads and hydropower projects in dozens of roadless wildlands and persuaded Congress to designate some of the nation's most significant wilderness areas. Environmental historian Frederick Swanson is my guest on Monday. He'll talk about his new book, Where Roads Will Never Reach, Wilderness and Its Visionaries, in the Northern Rockies. That's just out from University of Utah Press. Hope you'll join us on Monday uh, for the program, and thanks for listening today. The Fusion Theater Project at Utah State University and Utah Public Radio are presenting Playing Shortly, short plays on the radio. These plays are broadcast Friday nights at 8.30 and feature new works by American playwrights performed on stage in front of a live audience. This week's program features a comedy by Kelly Younger titled Mandate, a play about the world's most bizarre guys' night out. Forced to meet up by their wives, a stay-at-home dad and a stay-in-his-cubicle accountant go on a disastrous first date, only to learn that friendship really is magic. Beth told me you're a teacher. Earth science and driver's ed. 124 kids, all girls school. All girls, that's a lot. Don't have to tell me, but I can text 90 words in 2 minutes 26 seconds. You know, I'm kind of a popular teacher. And I know the words to every One Direction song. Go on, try me. With what? One Direction Challenge. So we invite you to gather around the radio this Friday night at 8.30 for Playing Shortly, Short Plays on the Radio. Don't miss the duck with the best radio-side manner on the next Sorba Faster on Your Health. It'll be a jam-packed hour on healthy living, including this tasty recipe for... Feta and cauliflower omelets. We always have a great time. So will you on Zorba Faster on Your Health from PRI, Public Radio International. Friday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. And thank you for listening to Access Utah today on Utah Public Radio, a service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. Stay tuned for the Zesty Garden coming up next, time now 10 o'clock.